Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. Jesus is the source of life. For Christians, these are familiar statements. We nod along in agreement without thinking too much about them. But if we really pause to consider these statements, they represent a pretty controversial worldview. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylock. Welcome to another 20-minute Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. A reading from the Gospel of John. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you because I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again, and I will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you also will be. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. That was John chapter 14, verses 1 to 7. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. It's critical to take out of the Bible what God put into it, rather than read into the Bible what we want it to say. And that means it's time to go to space. For Bible study, space is our handy acronym that reminds us to consider the speaker, audience, and context of a Bible verse or passage. That's the S, P, A, and C before attempting an E, the explanation. The speaker is Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, God the Son. The audience is the disciples, including the Apostle Thomas, to whom Jesus replies at the end of this passage. As for the context, Jesus is comforting his disciples because he has just predicted Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial. He is preparing them with hope because they are about to enter a tough time of hopelessness. And now we're ready to get into an explanation. Let's break down this Bible passage. Our guest reader today is Chelsea. John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Our Lord begins this passage with a very comforting statement for his disciples. He, knowing their thoughts, basically is telling them not to stress out. And then he commands them to believe in God. That word believe in the Greek is pistuo. To simplify, he's telling them to put their trust in God. Then he concludes by also saying, put your trust in me. It's important to know that this here is another proof verse for the divinity of Jesus. He is claiming to be equal with God. John chapter 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, 
I would have told you, because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. The phrase many rooms is different in other translations. Some have it as many mansions or many dwelling places. That last phrase is closest to the root word from the original Greek. The root word means to dwell or abide, and we call a place where a person abides an abode. Now listen to what Jesus says a few verses after our scripture reading in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So now let's go back to verse 2 here and substitute in that word abode, since it's essentially the same word in the original language. Jesus is saying to his disciples, In my Father's house are many abodes. I go to prepare a place for you. So if we connect the two, we can more simply think of these words as home, the place of love where our Lord and our Heavenly Father dwell. At the end of prophecy, this is where all who love Jesus will dwell, in a holy city with the Father and the Son. John chapter 14, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, There you will also be. This verse is direct and self-explanatory for the reader. And it can be easily considered a supporting verse regarding the future rapture of Christians. Yet, it can be difficult to imagine what a place in heaven with God will be like. I guess that's why when I read this verse, I immediately thought of Numbers 23.19 in the Old Testament, which tells us, quote, God is not a man that he should lie. And this is also confirmed in Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 1, verse 2, which says, God cannot lie. So we've established today that Jesus Christ is part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead. Therefore, when Jesus makes any statement with the knowledge that he is God the Son, we today and the disciples back then understood it was impossible for him to lie. And everything he says is truth, even if it's hard to imagine. John chapter 14, verses 4 and 5. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? I have two minor notes on this verse, Andy. One, the New Testament is full of proof that its eyewitness accounts are authentic, if you think about it. I mean, if this were fiction, the story would not be written this way. We would not have one of the heroes of the story, Thomas, being so obtuse. A fictional hero would immediately know where Jesus was going because he had literally been telling them about it over and over again. And a fictional hero wouldn't be asking what seems like dumb questions, frankly. And of course, he wouldn't have doubted Jesus even after he rose from the dead. No, we can tell John is giving us a true account because he doesn't care about flattery or making the heroes of the story look bad or good. He just tells the truth. That's a fact, Jordan. You know, and to your point about John and all writers in the Bible, we must remember that 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 tells us that all scripture is inspired by God. And that word inspired literally means God breathed. Therefore, we assess John is telling the truth because his words were God's words written according to God's will. Yeah, that's a great point. 
And the second point I wanted to make is that the setup here is critical to understanding the statement that Jesus Christ is about to make. He insists his disciples know the way, and Thomas is confused. How do they know the way? They don't even know where Jesus is going. And our Lord answers in the next verse that he is the way. So here again, we see Jesus speaking at a higher level of knowledge, one which requires a higher level of language. It's as if the complexity of these concepts requires metaphors and parables in order to be properly perceived. You know, the old cliche is that a picture is worth a thousand words. So perhaps that's why Jesus liked to create these mental pictures when he taught his disciples. And they were constantly struggling with this. They were expecting him to speak plainly, but he spoke to them in a much richer way. Yeah, Jordan, I really like how you applied that cliche here. A picture is worth a thousand words. In my opinion, the metaphors and parables that Jesus uses to paint pictures for us creates imagery in our minds, which I believe helps us remember a lesson and helps us apply that lesson in our daily lives. As we do when watching motion pictures, Christians should plug themselves into a metaphor or a parable to truly understand the author's message and intent. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We'll break down these three words in a moment. But first, I want to point out that this verse is one of the three main proof texts for the Christian belief that Jesus is the only way for mankind to be reconciled to God. Many believe that there are several paths to heaven. It's a popular belief because it seems so narrow-minded to believe there is only one way. But that's what the Bible teaches, and that's what Jesus taught. No one comes to God except through him. The other major proof texts for this belief come from the apostles Peter and Paul. In his speech before the Jewish council in Acts chapter 4, Peter states, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's Acts 4.12. And Paul wrote to Timothy, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And that's 1 Timothy 2.5. Anyway, returning to the struggles that some people have in accepting this truth, our friends over at Got Questions have an excellent article about why this is so. In the article, they list all of the reasons why Jesus is the only way to heaven. Let's listen. Jesus is the only way to heaven for several reasons. Jesus was chosen by God to be the Savior. Jesus is the only one to have come down from heaven and returned there. He is the only person to have lived a perfect human life. He is the only sacrifice for sin. And he alone fulfilled the law and the prophets. He is the only man to have conquered death forever. He is the only mediator between God and man. He is the only man to whom God has exalted to the highest place. These are excellent biblical examples that support what Christians must believe to be true. They're foundational to the efficacy of our salvation. They're great to memorize as well, not only for our own encouragement, but also to use when sharing the gospel with the non-believer. Now, before moving forward, I'd like to break down the three key words Jesus used in John 14, 6, way, truth, and life. 
Now we know that God is a trinity. And since man is made in his image, man is made up of three parts as well. Those parts are spirit, soul, and body. To support this, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete. You know, when the first Adam fell, all three parts fell. And when the second Adam, Jesus Christ, redeems us back to God, he does this for all three parts. Though not all at once in man's timeline, for God who is outside of time, in his eyes, we actually are already redeemed. So here's a quick explanation of how Jesus Christ is the key to make this work. Jesus is God. He is the only way to the Father, and that's the key to justification of our spirit. He is the living truth. That's the key to ongoing sanctification of our soul. And he is the life. And that's the key to our body's future qualification and glorification into his millennial kingdom. Jesus Christ is the one and only key to open these doors and make all this work. John chapter 14, verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. The author of Hebrews echoes and emphasizes this point, writing, He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Hebrews 1.3 Can there be any doubt that Jesus is God? How can anyone read John 14.7 and say that Jesus did not claim to be God? By the way, we didn't hit this point when discussing this last verse, but it's worth mentioning again here. When we read, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it represents the sixth I am statement in the Gospel of John. And I am is the covenant name of God, the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. It's a literal translation of the name Yahweh, which was later converted into the written name Jehovah. Amen, Jordan. And please, let me just add something to your points here. You know, the harsh truth is all religious people, if not everyone deep down, believes in God. Just ask proclaimed atheists about intelligent design. According to the Bible, God's presence and eminence is everywhere and undeniable. And this is implanted by God to all men. And I'm not just making this up. So I'm going to take you to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. And it supports this by saying, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. And then Romans chapter 2 verse 15 goes on to say, God's law is written in their hearts. And to this point, all people are aware of their sins and are seeking redemption. But it's only through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ that people can obtain that redemption. We have some time, so let's do a conversation question. 
People don't like the idea that Jesus is the only way to God. They don't think it's fair to all people everywhere. For an example, sometimes they say things like, what about a person who grew up in a remote tribe in Africa who never heard about Jesus? How would you answer that? People have made this argument to me before. You know, when I was younger, I would say that God can save anyone he chooses. So maybe we don't know how he is working in those situations. Some people even believe that Jesus made appearances in other places in the world. Or maybe God appeared directly in other forms, like in the Old Testament. Or God saves those who seek him, even if they don't know much about him or his son. But as I matured in my faith, I realized what was really going on and how to answer this question. I realized the person asking me this question was not, in fact, an African person from a remote tribe. He was usually an American from the suburbs who had heard the gospel his entire life. This person knew all about Jesus and really was struggling with Christian beliefs. You know, they had created a hypothetical question as a way to express their doubt, saying, in effect, if some African somewhere isn't being treated fairly by God, then I don't believe in him either. So getting into an argument with that person about a hypothetical African is a mistake and a trap, in my opinion. By the way, arguing about hypotheticals is always a mistake and a trap. The best answer to the question, in my opinion, is something like this. I don't know about that African or what will happen to him, but I do know this. You know about Jesus. What do you believe? And then go from there with the conversation. Very interesting, Jordan, and I'd have to agree. Now, keep in mind, we learn from the Bible that key attributes of God are his sovereign will and his predestination. Romans 8, 28 through 30 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. A few verses later in Romans 9, 11 to 13, the word tells us, For though the twins, meaning Jacob and Esau, were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, meaning Jacob and Esau's mom, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. You know, anyone could Google this stat. Check this out. 250 babies are born worldwide every single minute. And 115 people die worldwide every single minute. If you do the math, that's 385,000 babies born per day and 165,000 deaths per day. That's a ton of people. Is it even possible to consider daily what happens to people all over the world? Of course not. The only thing we can control is our own lives, not the lives of anyone else. Even if we convince ourselves that we can do it. And as most of us know, the best way to influence us is by example and deed. Ask yourself often, am I living my best life for God? I believe all us Christians can show God our appreciation for our salvation, for our secured salvation, 
by witnessing more and as much as we can. And by doing so, we would make a great push in these last days and increase the world's chances of receiving Jesus Christ as Savior as we have. That's 20 minutes, and that's our lesson. Before we go, don't forget, we want to hear from you. We welcome your questions and comments, even if you don't agree with us. I mean, we prefer if you agree with us, but obviously we're also interested in if you don't and hearing your um, Bible-backed reasons why. Feel free to just give us a call and leave a message. Our number is 908-271-6717. If you ask a good question or make a good point, we may even put you on the show. Once again, our number is area code 908-271-6717. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Or you could visit our website at 20mbs.org. That's the number 20, followed by the letters mbs.org. Do you want to listen to this Bible study again? It's easy. Just go to 20mbs.org. That's the number 20, followed by the letters mbs.org. On the website, you can also subscribe and have these lessons automatically delivered to your inbox. Once again, that's 20mbs.org. Some of you are listening to us on Sirius XM channel 131, also known as Family Talk. If so, you should know that we're on every week at this time, Sundays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Pacific. Feel free to tune in and hear our latest Bible study every Sunday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Pacific. Prefer podcasts? We're on all the major platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. To find out more, simply go to our website and click the icon for your favorite app. And if you're listening to this on a streaming app right now, do us a favor and hit that subscribe button so they'll get new lessons automatically delivered to you. We believe there's a special blessing for those who help others receive God's word. We invite you to join us in this mission. The best way is simply to share a 20-minute Bible study with a friend. But if you feel called to go further, we welcome you to visit 20mbs.org and click donate. Any amount of money you give will be received with thanksgiving, and we pledge that every cent will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more Bible studies like the one you heard today. Once again, just visit the website and click donate. 20 Minute Bible Studies is a ministry of Mysteries of the Kingdom, a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating Christians in preparation for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe this education can only come directly from God's Word. But we also know it can be hard to find the time to study the Bible or find a good group and then attend that group on a regular basis. So, we're inviting you to join our Bible study. It happens any day you want, any time you want, and as often as you need. You don't even need a Bible, although it is highly recommended, because we have a great group of volunteers who will read the Bible to you. All you have to do is listen. Until next time, we leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.
Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple. Our music was recorded by the Abundant Life Worship Center. Our sound editor is J.P. Eli. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Reserved Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.